Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. So today we are talking about relocation, aka mobility, aka, you know what, I'm now divorced. I would like to go and live somewhere else. Oh, whoopsie daisy. I have a child in common with my ex. And so what do we do? This is a very popular problem. And one that has been exacerbated by COVID. Why? Because people can now, particularly those in the information now, work and earn a living far away from where they once were. So the question becomes, what is the law? Well, let me kick it off by saying, I could have given you one answer a year ago. But March 1, 2020, our good friend in Ottawa, Justin Trudeau and his compatriots passed a new divorce act. And in the new divorce act, it for the first time in the history of Canada created statutory laws regarding relocation. Prior to that, we only had common law, case law, judge-made decisions that guided our advice and guided judges with respect to what to do. And now we've got a code that says, you want to move? You got to read the law. You got to follow the law. You got to use certain forms. And even if you do all of that, you still might be blocked from moving. So why don't you share with some of our viewers, the ball and chain problem stemming from divorcing with children with the wish to relocate. Yes, well, it's definitely um, a complicated issue. And, you know, like most things in family law, the, the central focus is always going to be on what is in the best interests of the children. Um, but, you know, if you are thinking that you can just, you know, you've got a, a job opportunity or you have family that lives on the other side of the country and you want to pick up and move with your child, um, you definitely are going to need um, the agreement, ideally, of the other parent. Um, and if not, you're going to have to take it to court uh, in order to have that issue resolved. And so the first step, if you're considering doing something like this, is you have to file a notice of relocation. Um, you have to give it, send one to the other party, serve them with it or send it to them. And um, essentially you have to, in, in this form, you're going to have to provide certain details of what your proposal is, where you're going, when. Um, and I believe this needs to be um, served on the other person at least 60 days prior to when you want to make this move. Um, and, you know, the other parent can very well say no. Um, you know, the first, really the, the key issue is whether it's going to impact the other parent and their relationship with the child. That, that is the key thing that, you know, we're, courts are going to be looking at. Um, and so a lot will depend on what your current arrangement is, how often the other parent sees the child who has decision making, what the parenting time is and all of that. But the very first step um, is this notice of relocation that you're going to have to provide to the other parent uh, to at least find out 
maybe they'll agree. So maybe that it'll be really easy. You can work it out in there in agreement. But if they don't agree, then that's where it's going to be more complicated. In my experience, and I've done about a half a dozen mobility trials in the last 30 years, um, they are very stressful because they are unpredictable. It is not a situation where you could say, most of the time we win or most of the time we lose. It always boils down to the very facts of the case. And even with the new changes in the Divorce Act, it's not going to change the advice that we give our clients because at the end of the day, what one judge believes to be meritorious facts that would justify a move, another judge might disagree with it. And I'll give you an example. There was a case last month, I read about it. It was extremely interesting. It was about a woman that lived in Ontario and she had an autistic child. And Ontario decided to reduce the level of services provided by the government, by public resources towards autistic children. And the child was getting a certain level of services. I can't remember exactly what, but something like, you know, an additional uh, teacher's assistant in the class. Anyway, long short is there was a significant reduction in those services. At the same time, the mother lost her job. At the same time, the mother was able to secure a really good job in another province. It turns out that other province had really robust services for autistic kids. And on top of all of the above, the child's father was having very limited contact with the child. And in a situation like that, the judge ruled in favor of the mother's move. But make no mistake, those facts were really important. The autistic child, the lack of services here, the additional services there, the loss of employment, the new employment, the lack of father contact. I mean, all of those factors, when they came together, made a compelling case that moved the needle from 49% to 51% and she got the order. But there are so many cases where it teeters between 48 and 52% and it's really hard to know how it plays out. No, so definitely. Mobility cases are really tough cases, but let's talk about solutions now, okay? So client walks in the office and says, you know, we divorced five years ago, I remarried, I'm pregnant, and my husband has a fantastic job in Chicago. And we've got a four-year-old from the first marriage. Well, this woman, what is she gonna do? Live permanently in Toronto while her husband with her newborn child, um, her husband is in Chicago and her newborn child is here and new father can't. I mean, that's a difficult situation, but, but then where do the sympathies go towards the father of the first child who has no job in Chicago, who makes a living here, and who has a fantastic relationship with a child. This is the old, um, you know, the, the, uh, the dilemma of Solomon. You cannot tear the child in half. This woman should be able to live with a new husband and a new baby in Chicago, but the father should be able to remain parenting his son or daughter here in Ontario. Tough, 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 tough cases. And so one of the things that we as lawyers do is we recognize tough cases early and what we can do from a problem-solving standpoint, I'm gonna share one idea, maybe, maybe Leanne's got some other. It's called diplomatic bribery. <laughs> I say that politely. Because if like you serve term. the notice of intention to relocate, and you do it in such a gruff way, like, I'm moving, are you in you up? You're not gonna get a good response. But if you say, look, difficult situation. 
here are the facts. I'm pregnant. You definitely don't want me moving to Chicago. I definitely cannot afford to live here with a husband and a newborn baby back and forth from Chicago. What can we do? Is there any solution? Can I, for example, um, live there three weeks, live here one week, bring the child back here one week, pay you child support, you pay me no child support, I cover X amount of flights a year, the summertime would normally go 50-50, but instead it goes 75 to you, 25 to me, and I give up every Christmas. I mean, there are ample opportunities to negotiate something without having to take this in front of a judge a year from now and have a two-week trial where nobody can predict the outcome. What do you say about that, Leanne? Well, I say that a lot of the things you just mentioned would be the, the solutions that I would propose. I think it's better to try and negotiate with uh, your partner than try and fight it in court. And, and you need to approach it in a solution-oriented way. Like, look, we're, this is the dilemma. How can we, as, you know, as co-parents, resolve this? And as Steve mentioned, like offering extra time. Perhaps the child spends the summer as well with the, you know, the parent who's staying in Toronto. Extra time at vacations, paying for flights. Like, if you're a parent who's going to be relocating, you're going to have to accept as part of that, that you are probably going to have to be responsible for paying for these flights and whatnot, since you're the one who made the decision to relocate. Um, and you, you will likely have to give up some of the time, you know, around the holidays and summer vacation and things like that in order to compensate for the other parent, you know, not having this same time. Um, I think the key is for parents to or co-parents to work together and to be creative. Um, you know, and some of that's going to depend, obviously, on the, the socioeconomic position of the family, because obviously, if they have some money, it's easier to, you know, do some of these solutions like come fly back, come back for one week a month or, you know, things like that. But if the family is shorter on on funds, then, you know, that can make it a little more complicated to do some of those sorts of things. But I mean, essentially, I would say to couples, put your heads together and try and come up with a solution. Um, it's not an ideal situation. I know if, you know, I think most parents who are involved with their children do not want their child to move um, far away that they're not going to be able to see them on a, you know, a weekly basis. Um, and, and make no mistake, know, the left behind parent holds the cards. In a situation yeah. like this, the person that wants to move is in a weaker bargaining position to the person that is left behind. That doesn't mean that if they go to court, they're gonna lose, but they also don't know whether they're gonna succeed. And a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. That's number one. Let me tell you a story about the issue of distances. Some people forget about relocation and how relocating from uh, Ottawa to Toronto is different than relocating from Ottawa to British Columbia which is different than relocating from Ottawa to Los Angeles, which is different than relocating from Ottawa to Hong Kong. Every one of those is a completely different case. And so um, each case is on its own two feet. I had a case about 15 years ago where I repped a guy who uh, had a child here and mom, like my earlier example, met another guy, got married, got pregnant, and the guy had a really good job. 
in a place that I never knew existed in Canada. And it was called Kitimat, British Columbia. So you Google it, right? So how do you get to Kitimat, British Columbia? You fly from Toronto to Vancouver, and then you take another plane from Vancouver to Kitimat. And I, I can't remember exactly, but I think the plane ride from Vancouver to Kitimat is like four or five hours. Basically, it's really, really up north. Anyway, the long and short of it was, um, child was very bonded with mom. Child was not particularly bonded with dad. And I represented the dad. Mom knew she had a strong case because of the bonding and because of all of the other circumstances. Not enough. Mom doubled down. Mom hired a parenting assessor who specifically investigated um, and reported on the benefits to the child of moving with mom to Kitimat. And so I had an uphill battle because the recommendation from the expert was child should move with mom to Kitimat and dad should have a little bit more Christmas time, a little bit more summertime. Fine. Went to trial, two-week trial, and I cross-examined the assessor. And the assessor was solid. She knew her stuff. She, was, she, she is and was one of the top Canadian assessors, parenting assessors. When I cross-examined her, I asked her about the, how much effort she put into measuring the travel time. And she said, well, you know, flight from Toronto to Vancouver, you know, between four and five hours. And I said, and what about the flight from Vancouver to Kitimat? And she said, uh, she thought it was about an hour, hour and a half. So then I presented her with Google Maps. And I said, well, actually, it's actually like, and I can't remember exactly, but it was like five hours. She goes, I, I didn't know that. I thought it was a lot shorter. I said, well, hold on a second. Do you know how many flights a week go from Vancouver to Kitimat? She says, I have no clue. I said, well, here, let me show you the flight schedule. There's only two airlines that fly, and they only fly a couple times a week. It's very expensive, and it's not particularly convenient because it falls right in the middle of the school day. I didn't know that either. Anyway, I asked for a series of questions along those lines. Long and short, her case fell apart. Judge denied the move. And that is how tricky mobility cases are. Because who would have known? I didn't know that she didn't know about all the flight times. But I took a whack at it, and it worked. Now, I see we have a question here. Heather's asking, are voice of the child reports helpful here, or is that seen as putting the child in the middle? I mean, I would say, depending on the ages of the children, a voice of the child report could be quite helpful. Um, you know, in terms of what their wishes are. And, you know, if your children are older, I mean, certainly if you're moving and you have teens, those teens are going to want to have a say in uh, whether they're relocating to Chicago or Vancouver or wherever, they might not want to be leaving their friends. And so, you know, that certainly would have some sway in the matter as well. Um, but I, don't, I think a voice of the child report could be quite helpful if the children are old enough to, you know, articulate, um, you know, what they, they would like to have happen and what their, their wishes are. Um, I had a case um, a couple of years ago um, whereby the mother wanted to relocate to uh, Colorado from Toronto. She had a good job opportunity and was going to be earning more money. And dad was very involved in, they had one son. Dad was involved in the son's life, saw him regularly. Uh, dad did not, was in significant arrears with respect to his child support. He had not been paying uh, child support um, and had had his driver's license 
suspended and various things that way, but he was spending time with his son and um, we, he was initially opposing it, but then he ended up not showing up to court. And so we ended up be eventually being able to proceed without him attending. Um, and she got what she wanted is essentially it ended up being, he didn't file materials and he didn't show up. He came to an initial meeting with a, a DRO officer, which is the very sort of first appearance um, you, you go to here in Toronto, but he didn't show up once we were in front of a judge to start talk, you know, about the case. And we ended up having, um, basically having a default hearing without him there and she got her wishes and so it was kind of so definitely don't do that um i you know that's not a good course of action i think for any parent to take in in proceedings involving their children they should always make sure they show up and articulate uh, their voice um but it, my client was happy she got what she wanted and she was you know, definitely the primary caregiver and was still prepared to bring the child back to Toronto and make sure dads, you know, had extra time and, and things like that. Looks like we have more questions. Let me go back to the original question about putting the child in the middle. The answer to the question is yes to both. You are putting the child in the middle. And in some cases, it's okay to put the child in the middle because the court does indeed recognize that the views and preferences of the child are in fact relevant, although they're not dispositive, they're not determinative, it is relevant. So a p perfect example, you know, you, you say to a four-year-old, hey, four-year-old, how about we move to Kissimmee, Florida and live across the street from Disneyland? Well, what <laughs> four-year-old isn't going to say? Absolutely. But you're not going to see your mom as much or your dad as much. Doesn't matter. I want to live across the street from Disney World. How weighty will that evidence be? Probably not particularly weighty. But if you ask the 15-year-old who barely sees one parent to move with the other parent, and that 15-year-old says, you know what, as it turns out, I really would like to live in a warmer climate because that way I can play the sports that I want to play. And it's a solid answer and it's a reasonable and a logical answer. That's going to carry a lot of weight. So voice of the child, yes, relevant. Putting the child in the middle, it is. But in some cases, it's the right thing to do. Now, as for this question, the question is really, where does COVID fit into all of this? Well, COVID is really just an excuse because at the end of the day, most people did not have to move because of COVID. So the person that sold the Toronto house and moved to Halliburton um, was probably not required to move there. Now, it may have been that they lost their job because of COVID. And then as a result of them losing their job, they had to find another job and the other job was somewhere far away. And so it could be indirectly connected to COVID, but most of the moves that we've seen in the last two years due to COVID weren't exactly mandated or forced by virtue of COVID. No, exactly. And um, so even though, you know, I noticed in the comment, it talks about, you know, the, the narrative in collapse. I don't know if the narrative is in collapse. Things have obviously changed with respect to COVID and the approach now seems to be more, you know, to live with it, but the courts aren't going to go back and say that, you know, they made it took a wrong approach or anything in what they were dealing with at the time when COVID first uh, broke out. So I don't see that as being an issue. So there's a new city in Ontario called Burlington, but I think they really mean Burlington. So, what about moving from Mississauga to Burlington, moving out of the Peel region, as it was agreed to five years ago, the kids spent full time with their mom, mom is pregnant. 
this, this viewer is music to my ears because what he or she is writing is very fact specific. And this is just the headline. All these facts, distance, age of child, pregnant mom, connection to one parent, disconnection to the other. That is the bread and butter of relocation cases. And the stronger those arguments, the stronger the facts, the stronger, the, the, the higher the likelihood of a move being granted. But is it guaranteed? Not necessarily. So sorry, I can't give you a direct answer, but um, you're certainly feeding us with a lot of good facts. And the starting point can often be the existing agreement or court order, because quite often people have in their separation agreements, mobility clauses that discuss what's, you know, is there, sometimes they have a radius that, you know, the, the parents agree that they're not going to reside more than 30 kilometers apart or outside Ontario or, or whatever it might be. And so if you have signed an agreement where there is uh, a mobility clause in it, you're going to have to deal with that issue as well. The fact that you agreed to something and now you want to change it. Um, or, you know, same thing if you have that in a court order. So that's always going to be the starting point. Is there something already on this point addressing the procedure the we follow and what we need to do? That's right. Uh, one last point I want to make before we wrap up is let's just talk about the real unfairness in this subject matter. Okay. What's the real unfairness? Here's the deal. The person that wants to move with the child will have a really hard time moving. The person that wants to move without the child doesn't have to worry about anything. So if one parent says, you know what, I got a better job in Chicago and I'm moving, they might have to pay more child support or receive less child support or pay some child support but nothing at all prevents them from moving. Whereas the person that wants to move with the child cannot. And that was my comment earlier about the ball and chain situation because historically, let's go back now 10, 20, 30 years, the, the vast majority of the people that had custody of their children were moms. And a lot of the moms suffered economically as a result of divorce because they were the lower income earning person. And those moms, some of them remarried. And those remarriages sometimes involve needing to relocate. And when those moms who were financially weaker than their ex-husbands ended up marrying a new guy and wanting to move, they had a really hard time. And that was the ball and chain. Whereas the other parent in the example that I gave, the father, for example, was able to simply pick up and move and say, you know what, I, I won't see my child every other weekend, but I'll fly into town once a month or... I'll have a little bit more time at Christmas or the holidays. Um, and let's add one last really important factor to all of this. Leanne and I are talking to each other via the internet. 10, 15, 20 years ago, that did not exist. So now parents who are far away from their children, they can speak to them all day and all night via video conference, which was not something that was available before. And let's be frank, the judges know about that. And that factors into court orders. So now you will see in mobility orders that there are detailed video conferencing provisions with respect to the contact between parent and child to the extent that some of them even include holiday celebrations by video. For example, I have cases where the parents will say the Christmas break will be spent in the following way. 
and the child will be in another room with the distant parent's family, and the child will be on video conference while um, the rest of the family is in another room, but the child will spend Christmas on video conference with the other parent that's far away and their whole family. So video conferencing is a huge element in the current management of mobility cases, which did not exist just a number of years ago. Definitely. So I think bottom line is put your child first, what's best for them, work with your co-parent in a productive, solution-oriented way, and be creative. 100%. Great conversation, Leanne. Good luck with your trial and congratulations on the sale of your house. (laughs) Thank you very much. We'll see you here next next week. week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.